welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi, thanks so much for your company today. I hope you've had a terrific week and you've been kicking goals, no matter what that means for you. I've found myself reflecting a little bit over the last few days on some of the feedback that I've received from you. A few of you have asked me if I could let you hear more from my special guests. So sometimes I do come across people who turn out to be really great interviews, who quite frankly deserve more time. This week, I've had the pleasure of chatting to a guy called John Ilsley, who boasts both a great story as well as some truly awesome music. So this week, I want to bring you more of him and more of his music. For those of you who don't instantly recognise the name, John is the English musician best known for being the bass guitarist and founding member of English rock band Dire Straits. I caught up with John to chat about his new book, My Life in Dire Straits, as well as his latest solo album, simply called Eight. He was really captivating, and I hope you enjoy hearing from him as much as I enjoyed chatting with him. John Ilsley, it's terrific to meet you. Welcome to A Breath of Fresh Air. Wow, what a career you've enjoyed so far. You're going to have to walk me through it, but let's start at the most recent things and work our way back. You've got a book out, you've got a new album out, a solo album, which is your eighth solo album. Could you tell us a little bit about both of those? Well, they were projects which were um, really not planned, to be honest, but um, then we had lockdown. And for people who do music and do a bit of writing and stuff, it was the ideal time to uh, indulge, if you like, because there wasn't anything else going on. Um, I mean, literally. Everything just came to, probably in Australia, everything came to yeah. a standstill. Yeah, it was the phone the didn't ring, you know, uh, nobody nobody was doing anything. And I had a few ideas for some songs, so I, I started with that. And um, before the lockdown started, actually, let me just go back a little bit. A publisher approached me about doing, uh, writing a book about the Straits, or my life in the Straits, actually, because she'd been to see one of the shows that I was doing, which was sort of a, a Q&A of the, the band's life, which I started doing about two or three years ago because it was very enjoyable to reflect with one of my managers and have a chat and then play some music, have a chat, play some music. And so it was a sort of an evening of, um, if you like, um, personal indulgence, but also um, sort of a Q&A with the audience as well. So she saw that and she said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, it's a very odd question. Who, how, why are you asking me? She said, well, I'm an agent and I came to see your show the other day. So she put the idea forward of a book, which I hadn't really been thinking about at all, to be honest, until she mentioned it. And I said, I, I, I'm not sure that I could do that. So I said, I'm probably going to have to have some help to arrange it. And Because when you're writing a book, it needs to be structured. And having never written one before, it would have been crazy to try and do it on my own. And uh, so anyway, one thing led to another. And we actually started putting the idea together before lockdown. And then, of course, with lockdown, we were doing what we're doing now, which was Zooming every day. And I was relating the story. And I thought I wasn't going to remember anything at all. But then, interestingly enough, once you start talking about something, something else comes into your mind. And it was remarkable because I'm not very, I can't remember an awful lot of things and suddenly, but I was remembering the almost ridiculous details. So you surprised yourself? And uh, it just, it just turned into this, you know, quite long process. And then, and then the album took place during lockdown. And I started the album with uh, my son, Harry, who brought all his DJ equipment and recording equipment down and I said, let's go and work on some songs together for about, so about two or three hours a day in the morning, we'd sat down and uh, he'd never done anything like this before and I'd never done anything with him before. So it was quite a, an, a, an interesting sort of father-son moment. I can imagine. I think he found it quite tricky to be on with. His dad's sitting here strumming a guitar and, and recording it. Began to glow, the rain was hard, 
From the album Eight, I'm chatting with Dire Straits' John Ilsley. The bare bones of that then turned into a full-blown album, and um, there we are. That's where that's where we are. So we, I ended up after lockdown with two fairly big projects on my hands. Amazing. Why did you call the album Eight? Well, it's my eighth solo album, and actually, when I was looking at photographs for the book, my sister, who's got the archive of the family, she gave me all these pictures of when we were young and one of them was when I was eight years old which is the cover if you get the album you'll see it it's a cover of me on the front when I was eight just before we were going to have I think we we're going to have lunch with granny and I thought hmm, this is my fellow album that's me when I was eight let's call it eight so that was that. And it's also when you call something eight, everybody says, what does that mean? And I said, well, because there's been seven solo albums before that. And we go, oh, my God, we never knew that. No, I didn't know that either. So, so yeah, that, so that helps people to go back and listen to the early music. Well, hopefully, anyway. Yeah. personal favorite well a long way back the opening track on the album is really a reflection of when the band started in this little council flat in Deptford and it was really based around the first time we went to Los Angeles as a group in 1979 uh, the first American tour and we played at the Roxy in LA and it was all about going there and staying at the Sunset Marquee which was the rock and roll hotel in uh, where all the misbehaving went on in, in, mm. in L.A. There's plenty I of I remember that. it well. And have oh, you been there? I have. Yeah, yeah. So the Roxy was just down the strip from there, and and we didn't realise at the time until we went up to the bar upstairs that there were quite a lot of people in the room which were fairly important sort of celebrity types, and one was Bob Dylan. Was Bob Dylan was there, and Rod Stewart was there, and Protectland turned up on the next night because they'd obviously just separated so that was a bit and Stevie Nixon so it was, a, it was a bit of the sort of LA crowd really turned up and um, it's all very exciting so I wrote this song called Long Way Back because it's a long way back to Deptford Town which is where the band started it was a pretty seedy part of London in a council flat which I was renting
didn't you? Could you tell us a little bit about how you got together with your friend Mark Knopfler? Well, this, this is a sort of series of coincidences, actually. Uh, and I, I think life is a, is a series of coincidences. If you put yourself in a particular place where something different might happen, then occasionally different things do happen. And I, So I've never really taken the straight and narrow, probably a bit more straight and narrow now, although my wife probably doesn't think so, um, <laughs> than I was then. I, was, I used to take quite a bit of few risks. I, went, I didn't go to university until I was 23. If I felt like changing and doing something, I'd, take, I'd t I usually take the un unpredictable path, and, which found me in this council flat, which I was renting in South London, and I needed a flatmate. And a, a friend of mine said, well, I know a local social worker who's looking for a place to live. And it turned out to be David Knopfler. Mark's so, brother. Which is kind of, was an, was an important moment, which we didn't realise, of course, in all our lives, the fact that I had a space in this council flat. Because I, I couldn't afford the rent because it was £9.48 a week. And I, <laughs> and I, was, I really was... I wasn't very well off at the time. I was going to say I was in dire straits, but that's such a cliche now. <laughs> um, but things, but thing, you know, things were pretty basic. So David moved in and he had a guitar with him. And so we used to sit down and strum guitar a bit. And I think he one day said to me, oh, you should meet my brother Mark. He's, he's quite handy on the guitar. And I said, oh, great. And he said, he's going to, probably going to come down in a couple of weeks. And he did. He came down and uh, I met him. You know, when you meet people, watch somebody for the first time, you get a sort of a... I just got a certain sense of warmth from him. And, and I thought at the time, when I was reflecting on it, I thought, I'm going to know this bloke for a long time, you know. And it, as it turned out, it's been, oh, God knows, 40, um, 40, 40 <laughs> 45 years now. So. Quite incredible, Maybe really, more, isn't it? Yeah. Years, yeah. Has it gone as fast for you as it has for me? <laughs> well, there's one thing that we don't realise, of course, is that we don't have, we don't have unlimited amount of time on this planet. So... It's best to get on with stuff. And I think you realise that as you get older, you know, there's only a limited amount of birthdays you're going to have. And, you know, when you're 23, you don't think about birthdays and how many more you're going to have. No, of course not. When you're 73, you think, hmm, okay, <laughs> uh, I've had quite a few birthdays. <laughs> yeah. I don't, really, I don't dwell on it too much. But so that, that was the sort of, the, that's what I'm saying, the coincidences. And I wouldn't have been in the council flat unless I'd, packed in my job and gone to study uh, sociology and philosophy at Goldsmiths College and 
they were giving out council flats to students. So I got one of those. So I, I almost created the, this thing for myself without realizing it, where I was going to meet these guys. And we just made sense musically together and personally together. You know, we just used to hang out a lot, Mark and I especially, and still do. Do you believe in fate? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, whatever fate is. Sunrises in the east Where the sirens sing It sets in the west Where our love began Only time will tell Only time will tell It takes a little time For us to find our way Our history is the John Ilsley and Mark Knopfler hit the big time and how they managed to keep their feet firmly on the ground. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. It's great to have you with me. I do hope you're enjoying what I'm bringing. So we've heard how John Ilsley believes it was fate or, if you like, serendipity that led him to partnering with Mark Knopfler in the first place and founding the phenomenon that's become Dire Straits. To say the band hit the big time is probably an understatement, but one thing's for sure, when they did, their lives changed forever. When you decided to pull a band together with them, who actually named it Dire Straits and why? Well, that was named by a friend of Pick Withers, the drummer, who was uh, the only professional musician amongst us. And he was living with other musicians in North London. And he was he was so blooming poor, he said, I'm not going to come and play with the band unless you pay my petrol and my fag money. And we didn't have any money ourselves. So that was a bit, I thought that was a bit tight. <laughs> but anyway, he was a great drummer and we we, we enjoyed playing with him. So we paid his fag money and his and his petrol for him to come down and play with us. And his mate, you know, when we were looking for a name for the band, his mate said to him, Pick, you've been a professional drummer all your life and you're still in dire straits. Why don't you call it that? So that that's how it, you know, how it came to be. I mean, I suppose the Rolling Stones called themselves the Rolling Stones because of a blues song by Muddy Waters. I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, the Beatles is a great name because it's B-E-A-T as opposed to B-E-E-T. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, these are little gems. Why yeah. they, How the Kinks got their name, I don't know. That's probably a different story altogether. But I'll have to ask them that. <laughs> so, John Ilsley, you, you started gigging around the place. In the beginning, it wasn't easy for you. You didn't have any money. You were carrying all your own gear in and out of gigs. When did fortune change for you? Well, there's another coincidence, you see. I, I stupidly started a record shop in um, North London with a girlfriend of mine when I was at university. And in order to sort of get the right music in the place, I sent a letter to a DJ in London who I'd been listening to. He, he used to play the, on Sunday mornings, a guy called uh, Charlie Gillett, and he played this, had this honky-tonk music show. And I got some ideas for the shop from him he very graciously sent me a whole list of albums that I should stock in the record store. Anyway, the shop lasted about four months. So that was a bit of a disaster. But I had a contact with Charlie. And so 
But when we made the demo tape in 1976, when Mark had about three or four, about four songs, five, maybe five songs at the time, Mark said to me, don't you know Charlie Gillett? And I on the on Radio London, I said, well, I don't exactly know him, but I'm sure we can get in contact with him. So I wrote to Charlie and said, look, I'm in this band called Dire Straits and we've made this demo tape. Would you listen to it? And he wrote back and he said, sure. And he said, come round to the house for tea on Thursday afternoon. So Mark and I trooped down there with this tape, gave it to Charlie, not thinking anything of it. Uh, and that was Thursday. And that Sunday morning, he played Sultans of Swing on the radio from the demo tape. listening to the show mark and i were shifting some furniture to make some money for for a mate and so we didn't actually hear it on the radio until i mean until the following weekend when he played it again and he said i'm going to play this song on the radio until somebody out there picks this band up and gives them a record deal and it was like i sort of rang charlie up and said god blimey charlie what's going on here and he said you wouldn't believe the amount of phone calls i've had from record companies, other DJs, music people saying, who the hell is this band? What the hell's going on, Charlie? And he said, well, I don't know anything about them apart from that these two blokes came in and gave me this tape. He said, can I give your phone number away to them? And I said, sure. And then my, our phone started ringing like crazy. We didn't have, there's no mobiles in those days. It was an old phone on the wall, you know. Of course. Of so course. every time somebody rang up from a record company, I was writing all their details all over the walls on this, in this council flat. So it was, the whole wall was covered in people's names and telephone numbers. Were you sure? And, uh, yeah, well, pleasantly surprised, I think, would probably be the price expression. And so we were suddenly bombarded with these record companies coming at us. And it's, it's, it's coming. John, did you know that you had something special with the other guys? I mean, you obviously knew how prolific a songwriter and, and a great guitarist Mark is. Did you yeah. know that you had that you were making really special music together at that point? Well, it felt good. That's all I can say. You don't really know until somebody says, we like that. It's the feedback you kind of get, which makes you think, oh, people are taking this seriously. They kind of like it. Well, they certainly uh, liked it, I don't it, think anybody really knows when they first start out. And so there's an element of surprise. You know, I think when the Stones started out, they were just playing rock and roll and blues and stuff. Like that. They didn't know what was going to happen. And suddenly it was mayhem surrounding them. And, and in a sense... There was a bit of mayhem surrounding us, I suppose, not in the same kind of way. We were a bit, probably not quite so misbehaving as the Stones. Or, But you were huge. Yeah, you, At the time, you were the biggest band in the world. And the and the journey lasted you something like 15 years, right? Yeah, it did. It did. It had legs, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> it sure well, did. Yeah, I think the reason why was because you mentioned it earlier. You know, we had a, we had a, a pretty prolific songwriter who was constantly coming up with ideas and good songs and I mean songs like Romeo and Juliet and Tunnel of Love and Telegraph Road and Money for Nothing.
was Dire Straits' most commercially successful single. It topped several charts in the US and was also a massive hit in the UK as well as in many other countries. The song is about rock star excess and the easy life it brings compared to real work. Mark Knopfler wrote it after overhearing delivery men in a New York department store complaining about their jobs while watching MTV. Sting actually sings on the song too and helped write it. The song earned Dire Straits a Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance. It was also quite controversial. The lyrics were deemed homophobic and when the band performed it live they'd often replace some of the words with less vulgar ones. I'm chatting with Dire Straits co-founder and bassist, John Ilsley. Without one realising it, these have formed the sort of backdrop of quite a few people's lives, and which is actually very a very pleasurable thing to know. And having been a part of that was a great pleasure for me, I have to say. And um, I think the important thing to remember, though, is, I mean, Mark's often said this to me, he said, I do wonder what would have happened if you and the other guys we made these songs with, it would have sounded the same if, if, we, if these songs had been played by somebody else. And I said, well, we'll never know that. And the great thing about the writing was that we all kind of got involved when, when the song was presented to the band. The band then knocked it into shape, for want of a better expression. And so everybody's input. And I think the, you know, the rhythm section between myself and Pick was pretty important. That seems to have stood the test of time as well. And the chemistry between you is also super important, isn't it? The fact that you all got yeah. on so well together and you and Mark in particular would have contributed yeah. to the sounds you were making. Yeah, I think I think the band survived because of, of exactly what you've said. You know, it, it is about having a relationship with somebody and, and the relationship working over time. You know, some relationships are only momentary some and this one seems to have stood the test of time we knew when to call it a day though i mean i think we we realized that after the on every street album and the on every street tour where we played to about 10 million people that's amazing which is a really extraordinary thought it's completely wacky well i wonder where you are tonight you're probably on a rampage somewhere you have been known to take the light in Getting in somebody's hand And you You always had the knack Fade to black Bet you already made a pass I see a darkened room somewhere You run your finger around the rim of his glass Fingers through his hair, they scratch across his back, fade to black. John Elsley, have you always had your feet on the ground through this journey, or did it did you get carried away with it at, at, at the height of the success? Because you you appear to be such a grounded, humble normal sort of a guy did you become the the, the pop star <laughs> when everybody was clamoring for you well i think that that side of things is very difficult to deal with sometimes and um i think it helped the fact that we were 
a bit older. And look, I, I can assure you, we had an awful lot of fun. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, playing music and, uh, you know, being together and hanging out together. And it's probably because I came from a family which was quite disciplined. My father was an ex-major in the army and a bank manager. And so I came from a sort of slightly disciplined family. And I think that probably stood me in good stead when when the band first started, because I was able to literally sort of hold things together while everybody else was sort of like... Out of control. Not, not doing anything. Yeah, and he, so actually quite an important partnership there when you realise that you're what you're good at. And I, I knew what I was good at. I'm sorry, not in a boring way either. I mean, I've had plenty of fun, let me assure you. Yeah, um, I, can, I can see that on your face. <laughs> you wouldn't be boring. Of all of those fabulous songs, is there one that's closest to your heart? Well, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a song that really is sort of seems to have, have resonance and I think we'll have resonance for probably an awful long time as Brothers in Arms. It's one of those songs which touches people and me every time I play it. I think it's a, a wonderful a piece of music. Through these fields of destruction Baptisms of fire I've witnessed your son The battle reached high And the so bad In the fear and the love You did not desert me My brothers and I in arms was inspired by the Falklands War. While Britain managed to reclaim its territories, the nation lost nearly 300 soldiers in the conflict. John Ilsley says it's sad that the song about a young soldier dying on the battlefield is still so appropriate today. I played it recently in a festival in Ireland, a literary festival, after some discussions and some talks about the war in Ukraine and all the rest of it. And the organisers said, would you just play Brothers in Arms acoustically? So I did, and it was quite difficult. It was quite difficult to play just on the guitar on your own. And but you um, did it. I did it, and I, I found it quite difficult myself. And it was quite harrowing, but it was, it was a remarkable experience and probably one I'll treasure, actually. version of Brothers in Arms. Stay tuned to learn more about the next chapter in John's life. Mm-hmm.
This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks so much for hanging in with me. I love having your company. Now, John Ilsley, Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits. Theirs is a story of fortune smiling on those who dared take a chance. We've been hearing from John Ilsley about his humble beginnings and military-style upbringing that protected him from getting carried away with the unexpected success that Dire Straits saw over a 15-year period. Throughout the 80s, Dire Straits were one of the biggest bands on the planet. Their songs formed the soundtrack of a generation and they live on today, still racking up sales, still being played on the radio on every continent. Now, in other unplanned moves, John tells us about his autobiography, My Life in Dire Straits, the inside story of one of the biggest bands in rock history, as well as about his latest solo album, Eight. The book is called... My Life in Dire Straits, I'll help you out. The book is called, thank you, (laughs) My Life in Dire Straits, it's out now. When you look at the proportions of sales around the world, Australia and New Zealand... For some obscure reason, I suppose because we did work out there a lot, but proportionally speaking, it's it's sold incredibly well in New Zealand and Australia. Australia and New Zealand just loved Dire Straits. I remember, I think it was my birthday, and Sultans of Swing had just come out, and we didn't play any other record that whole night. It it must have played 150 times, round and round and round and round, and we just kept dancing. Check out Guitar George, he knows all the chords. When he's strictly rhythm, he doesn't want to make it cry or sing. If any old guitar is all he can't afford, when he gets up under the lights to play his thing. from humble origins in London's spit and sawdust pubs to the best-known venues in the world, the working man's clubs to Madison Square Garden, gigging with wild punk bands to the Live Aid stage at Wembley, until ultimately the shattering demands of touring on a global scale and living life in the spotlight took their inevitable toll. John's story is also a tribute to his friend Mark Knopfler, the band's lead singer, songwriter and gifted guitarist. It's a tale told with honesty, soulful reflection and wry humour, and it's the first and only account of the band's incredible journey. What do your kids think about you? Are they proud of their dad or are they like most kids that are growing up or have grown up that just shrug it off and go, you know, think you're an old fogey? Well, they kind of got used to it, I think. Uh, I think they are. I, I, oh, yes, I know they're proud, actually. I'm, I mean, I'm proud of them. I mean, they've, they've all turned out. I've got four of them. They're, I've turned, they're all turned out pretty good. And three of them are into music and one one is into buildings. So the one into buildings, of course, is earning a good living and the other one's like <laughs> into music or not. Did you try and uh, talk but, them out of it? No, not at all. I mean, look, you know... Uh, my both my daughters have sung on pretty much well certainly five of my albums, and Harry helped me make this last one. So you know they're all they're all part of it. My youngest daughter came out on the last tour and did all the organising and tour managing and stuff. So and and she loves all that stuff. And she I know she's there. I think they they love the history of the of the family, if you like. Or and and so you know they they I think they've half read the book, which is good because actually. It then gets into the sort of the big time stuff, but they've read read the early part of the book, which is me growing up and how how one gets into these crazy situations in your life 
So it's an example to them, really, of, of, of um, not accepting the status quo, which I never did. I wasn't very good at that. Yeah. I'm probably better at it now, although sometimes my wife is not so sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they're proud. And, they, and, and in a sense, uh, that makes me feel good, too, because... Uh, and I'm still working, I'm still playing, you know, I'm still writing, so that won't ever go away. And when somebody says, when are you going to retire? And I said, what from? Tears on our land and in our hearts It's empty streets keep us apart The silence roars With a heavy sigh was planned from John Ilsley's latest album, Eight. The song's title really could have been John's theme song, as his career evolved after a series of serendipitous meetings that included renting out a room in his small council flat whilst at university to Mark Knopfler's brother, David. Dire Straits, as I'm sure you know, were for many years one of the biggest bands in rock history, selling more than 120 million records. They won four Grammy Awards and embarked on some of the biggest tours the industry has ever seen. They were hectic days indeed, and their last tour in 1992 was, according to John, utter misery. Whatever the zeitgeist was, he said it had passed, and the strain on personal relationships, both physical and emotional, was palpable. Fame had taken its toll, and the band decided to give it all up. Today, John Ilsley is a very different man. He's able to put his feet up again and go at his own pace, both with making music and his newfound hobby. Yeah. And you've discovered a new talent in being a, a, a painter as well, because your art is fabulous. Well, thank you. That's an ever-changing situation, the painting, that's for sure. Uh, that is really difficult. I paint pictures and I, I'm, I'm painting around and think that's okay, you know, all the rest of it, or that seems to work. But it doesn't really, if, unless you're communicating something to somebody else and they say that's good. So it's the feedback you kind of get which makes you think, oh, people are taking this seriously. They kind of like it. Well, it's just a new challenge. I have total faith in you that you'll conquer that one too. John's being very modest. His paintings are fabulous. He first started with painting when he was 15, around the same time he picked up a guitar, and while music obviously took priority until the band split in the early 90s, he then found himself painting most days. But his solo exhibitions in London, Sydney and New York have all been amazingly successful. John Elsley has spent the last 15 years fighting leukaemia. Today he's all clear and is a firm believer that in life anything can happen at any time. He spends most of his time these days making music, working on paintings or in the restaurant pub that he owns in Hampshire. He's never been more content. 
He and Mark Knopfler are still good friends and he no longer laments the fact that Mark chose not to turn up to the band's 2018 induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. John says there's something in the song Romeo and Juliet that relates to that event, although he wouldn't say what. I guess we're just going to have to wait till we can chat with him again to discover more. Meantime, here's that song. A love-struck Romeo Sing the streets of serenade Laying everybody low With a love song that he made Find the streetlight Steps out of the shade Says something like You and me, babe How about it? Juliet says Hey, it's Romeo You nearly give me a heart attack He's underneath the window She's singing I'm a boyfriend's back. You shouldn't come around here singing up at people like that. Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet, the dice was loaded from the start. And I bet any you exploded into my heart. And I forget, I forget the movie song. When you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong Juliet The classic Romeo and Juliet from Dire Straits John Elsley, I better let you go. But uh, right. in, in letting you go, which track would you like us to go out with from the latest album? Ooh, 21st century, because I think it's pretty relevant to what's going on right now. Okay, we'll give it a whirl. John Elsley, thank you so much for talking with us today. What an absolute pleasure to meet you and congratulations on a fabulous, fabulous career. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. You too. All the very best. Bye now. Sometimes it feels like these days will never end. Push and pull of how we dance The messages we send Nature's voice is lost Amongst the bluster and desire No one seems to notice That the flames are getting higher Welcome to the 21st century For him and her and you and me This is the 21st century
amongst the shriek of Exxon 21st century from the album 8. I hope you enjoyed hearing John Ilsley's story. Perhaps there's an artist you'd like to hear from. Just send me a message through the website abreathoffreshair.com.au and let me know who you'd like me to find for you. It'd be my pleasure to get them onto the show. Meantime, if you could do me a favour and subscribe to the podcast, I'd be really grateful. Take care of yourself, won't you, until we meet again. I'll look forward to being back in your company same time next week. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.